1: In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Uh, Hello, everybody. It's a tough day, right? Tough day, 9-11, 22 years ago. I actually have a special announcement here from Red Apple Media. Let's see. Um, All day today, the Red Apple Audio Network joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute, remembering 9/11, 22 years later, we will never forget America's heroes. Please listen all day for special programming, and thank you to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for helping 9/11 victims and their families, and and so much more that they have done and do. Uh, where were you on 9/11? Huh? Do you remember? Um Not everybody does. I just the Diego, you don't remember, but you were only three. I understand that. It's kind of hard to believe, but yeah, there are people who weren't even born. Who, um, now have graduated college and uh, people who have, uh, joined the military, uh, who were not even alive after on, on September 11, 2001. So we all have our, um, our own experience. We'll be joined by Rudy Giuliani in a little bit, uh, America's mayor. Boy, was he fabulous that day and, and everything that happened after it. Um, tough, tough stuff. I think of uh, a guy I went to high school with. I wasn't particularly close to him, but Tom Brennan sat next to me in English class. Lost him on 9-11. He was 31 years old, married, kids. Neil Levin, the Port Authority chair. Uh, I uh, interviewed him about two months before 9-11 in the World Trade Center. Rodney Gillis, an emergency service unit hero, uh, lost him on 9-11. I got to know the family fairly well. And uh, we all know, gosh, nearly 3,000 people. Nearly three thousand people, and it wasn't just first responders. It was, and they were amazing. They were so amazing. Three hundred and forty-three firefighters, twenty-three police officers, thirty-seven port authority police officers, three court officers, and three thousand of our neighbors. Right, just pe- regular people who we will never know the full scope of their heroism. So many heroes, but we will never hear the stories because they were they were trapped and they were helping each other and just oh gosh, it's uh, it's tough stuff. It's tough, and um, the world changed, forever changed, right, forever changed. How are you today, apart from all this, right? How are you? It's 22 years, so it's a it's a big day, nine eleven. but, you know, it's not like the 20th, and it's not like the 25th. Maybe it should be. Maybe it should be bigger. Maybe it should be smaller. Let me know what you think, but we can never forget. I do remember after um, September 11th, a couple of days, wondering, when would be the first time that I would look at the New York Times and it would not be on the front page? And I, I remember guessing it's got to be, it's going to be like five years. And it was about five years. I think it was about five years or something not related to September 11th. wasn't on the front page. Um, yeah, life uh, crazily goes on. You know, did you know that there were some children lost that day? You never hear about the children. But there were um, two three-year-olds and a four-year-old. They were on the planes. Uh, on the plains, one little girl going off to see Disneyland with her, with her mom and her mom's friend. I just saw a list of uh, <clears throat> the ages of those lost. Yeah, all the way to three. And I have to go back to it in a little bit. I'm not sure the oldest, uh, the oldest person lost. Um, all right. So, how have you been? Uh, Joe Biden had a rough, rough weekend. Uh, they're all rough for him. I mean, wh- this is beyond embarrassing. This is a catastrophic uh moment for the american presidency he clearly doesn't know anymore he can't do the job there's some basics you got to be able to perform you got to be able to participate in a ceremony you got to be able to handle a couple of questions that are not hostile you have you have to do these things he can't so he's over there in vietnam By the way, he's not going to any significant uh, memorial, which is very strange. The first time an American president is basically blowing off 9-11. I think that's a problem. Um, Let's see here. Here he is in Vietnam, and he tells the most bizarre, crazy story. Cut 15.
3: Where everyone was preoccupied with the notion of global warming. Not a joke. Did you ever think that? And there's my... My brother loves having There's famous lines from movies that he always quotes. You know, and one of them is there's, there's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout. And they're trying to get, the I think it was the Apache, one of the great tribes of America, back on the reservation. And he's standing with the Union, so he's, they're all on their, in their, on their horses and their saddles. And there's three or four Indians in headdresses and the Union soldiers. And the Union soul is basically saying to the Indians, come with me, we'll take care of you, we will be everything. Be good. And the Indian scout, the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union Soul and says, he's a lion dog-faced pony soldier. Well, there's a lot of lion dog-faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming. But not anymore. All of a sudden, they all realize it. it's a problem. And it's nothing like seeing the light for, and uh, I see. All right, that's enough. Jesus, excuse me.
2: What the hell is going on there? Number one, that's not even a line from the movie. He's totally botching it. It, it, It's not the first time he's told that ludicrous story. People are looking at each other. What's going on here? Um, But the media covers it up. I watched, I made a point to watch every single network show. That happened yesterday, like mid-morning over there in Vietnam. And uh, guess what? They didn't mention a word about it. I mean, it wasn't just that. There was uh, two minutes of gibberish. And then it sounds like he's totally giving away the farm to China. And they're just acting like it's all uh, it's all y- normal. Uh, let's try another one here. Oh, yeah. What do you think is worse, uh, getting a flood or being annihilated in a nuclear blast? I think being annihilated in a nuclear blast is worse, but he doesn't think so. Cut. Sixteen.
3: There is more carbon absor- absorbed from the atmosphere on a daily basis. And I'll look to my, my friend John Kerry. And he's forgotten more about this than most people know. Correct me if I get this wrong, John, but I'm quite sure I'm right. And that is that there's more carbon absorbed from the air into the Amazon region, into the ground, the ground, than admitted in the entire United States on the same basis. Now, imagine if people go in and do what we did 150, 200, 250 years ago and cut down the forest and start farming in that area. No longer have that great carbon sink. We, you know, it's going it to it would be a gigantic problem. So we should be going to areas, whether it's in the Congo or other places, as as the G seven nations and the wealthy G twenty nations, though and providing the kind of infrastructure they need to be able to benefit. And guess what? In addition to helping the environment overall, and the only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a than a nuclear war, is Global warming going above 1.5 degrees in the next 20, 10 years. Stop
2: going. Getting a little warmer is worse than a nuclear holocaust. He just said that. All right. This global warming thing is such a scam. It's a boondoggle. It's a way for these guys to make money and to have something to do. John Kerry. Boy, they should throw that guy in jail at this point. All the lies he's been caught in. Flying that stupid private jet all over the place and trying to fight, climb, I'm fighting, climb, a man like me must, anyway, did he, I wonder if he went privately, oh, he probably got on uh, Air Force One, they're only in it for the power, they're only in it for the money, they're only in it for the fame, and if you're a Democrat out there and you have, you know, let's say you're Gavin Newsom or let's say you're, uh who else, I don't know, Howard Dean, who are the other Democrats, Uh somebody somebody should be chomping at the bit to run against him, but they're not. And you know why? Because they're more loyal to party than country. It used to be, obviously, country over party. No, it's party over country, just like Russia. How in the hell can anyone listen to that? And if you're... I mean, you name it. I mean, why the hell doesn't Pete Buttigieg for... for, I mean, hell, he ran for president as the mayor. Why not run for president as a secretary of transportation? I don't like him. But, I mean... (laughs) This cannot go on, and oh, by the way, it won't. Now, one of the reasons why they're not running possibly is they're waiting for him to um, be taken out uh, for uh, another audio tape to drop or an audio tape to drop that will be, as I believe, um, and I've heard just totally incontrovertible proof that Joe is a corrupt, deeply corrupt man that may have sold out America. I believe that such a tape will be emerging sometime before Halloween, and uh, so they, they're not going to get in before that. However, I mean, look, I could be wrong, or maybe that tape never becomes public. Gavin Newsom, you're full of ambition. What the hell? You're just sitting there. All right. Uh, look, I don't like you. I don't like, I think you're a fat, vapid pretty boy, but un- unfortunately in American politics, that, that gets you basically halfway there. You're going to sit there and watch this guy utterly fail. And just pretend it's normal and the media pretending this is normal. A lying dog face, pony soldier. You know, he said that before he said it to a lady. Actually, do we have that clip yet in the one I just sent it to you? It was in Iowa. He sent it to, he said it to a lady in Iowa, right to her face. And she was just raising questions about Joe Biden. this is back in the campaign. And, uh, she called him he called her a lying dog face pony soldier which I think sounds to me like sexual harassment you call a woman a young woman dog face
3: <laughs>
2: forget the lying forget the pony just the dog face part uh, that's pretty that's pretty horrendous right um uh I, I I can I'm still in a state of disbelief am I in disbelief yeah actually here you though this is the other lying dog face pony Soldier Hi,
0: up. my name is Madison, and I'm an Econ student at Mercer University. And,
2: it's 2019.
0: Oh, awesome. Um, so I'm going to be a little bit mean for a second, okay? So <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So or in the participation. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa, and why should the voters believe that you can win the national
3: election? It's a good question. Number one, Iowa's a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. Stop.
2: So when you say something totally um, obscene like that and uh, ludicrous, hopefully you get a big dose of reality. You know, the media gives you a hard time. What the hell was he talking about? That's not a quote. Uh That didn't happen to Joe. And so he's making the same mistakes. You need a strong media. Uh, you need somebody. You need as perverse and stupid as the media are, they actually do serve a function when they're, when they're going after both sides equally. And it's not perfect. It's not great. It's not even good. But it serves something of a function. It keeps them, like, slightly, slightly accountable. And they've just totally blown that off. This is like Soviet media. This is like Russia. Um, However, it's great for me to point out the truth. (laughs) i in spectacular fashion lately. I don't know if you see what's going on in the video world. All right. So it's September 11th. Hey, We're going to uh, have some special uh, phone calls and we're going to uh, be speaking with America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And as great as he was on that day, I do think his greatest contributions have taken place to America over the last couple of years, um, fighting election fraud and fighting for President Trump. I'll be right back.
1: Greg Kelly on the Red Apple podcast network. Ooh,
2: wow. That's, uh, it's taking you back, right? This is tough. <sighs> 9-11. Um, I talked about my, the, the people I knew personally. You know, I was actually, um, at the World Trade Center site by four o'clock that afternoon. I woke up in,
3: where the hell was I living?
2: Tudor City. I had a one-room apartment in Tudor City. I was a reporter at New York One. That was primary day in New York City. We did not have to be in until late because it was going to be a late night. Remember, the Democrats were running for mayor, Republicans, uh let's see, Bloomberg was running. He had a primary against Herman Badillo on the Democrat side. Uh, there was uh, Mark Green, Fernando Ferrer, Peter Vallone, a couple of others, and that was primary day. In September, by the way. Now we have it on the last day of school, right? Because they don't want anybody voting. <laughs> but back then, you know it was um it was a big deal. and um I had to be at work by three p m and the phone rings. back then I had a landline, and I pick it up. I was asleep, and I pick it up. and it's a woman named Inez who used to work at the assignment desk at the New York One. So Greg, do you know what's happening? And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to be until three. She's like, no, no, uh, planes have hit the World Trade Center. Come in right away. And, uh, I looked down and I could see the smoke and I turned on the TV and I saw one of the towers coming down to this day. I don't know if I saw a rerun or if it was, or if it was, uh, coming down live. And I remember screaming in anger. I was so angry so angry that was my neighborhood in some ways my parents lived down there and just the the oh god that awful I mean how the hell what and I jumped in the shower because I knew it was going to be a long day I got out of there in about five minutes but I actually took a shower and uh, I didn't know what the hell the future held but I did say this to myself over and over again we're at war we're going to war we're going to war with somebody we are going to war we are going to freaking war right now got in the car a cab actually and the cabs were t- everybody was like a mess you know what i mean i don't even think the guy charged me i don't think mean, it was like that kind of it was like a little bit anarchy and uh he brings me over there i get a camera i because i had my own i was my own cameraman and i get into a car and they tell me to go to beekman downtown hospital which is about right next to the brooklyn bridge basically and to wait for casualties and i get down there and we're waiting and we're watching and they're there's activity, but there are not many people coming from the World Trade Center. Turn on the TV. Rudy Giuliani is speaking to the city and speaking. And I remember that's the time they asked him, hey, how many people do you think are lost? How many people have died? And he said, what's the number? They said, he said I, I the number is more than we can bear. And it was just, um he was perfect in so many ways that day. So I finally, hanging around this hospital, I'm like, well, uh nobody seems to be coming here. I want to let's see if we can go over. And I actually had a guy with me from New York one. Usually I was by myself, but I had two guys with me and we we tried to cross Broadway and we couldn't because the cops wouldn't let us do that. So I'm like, "Hmm, let's see if we can do it. Let's try it again." So I walked south a block. On the other side, I don't know what what street parallels uh, Broadway on the east side, but walked down another block then tried it again. No luck. Then went down another block chart again, and it was a National Guardsman. And he looked at my press pass, and the press pass says NYPD at the top of it. They're issued by the police department. He said, okay. He let me and these two other guys, a guy named Barron, and I think another guy, I can't remember his name, Ken. Anyway, we we start walking over, and all of a sudden, we don't see anybody. And we're passing Trinity Church, and we're like, what?" and then we walk down Church Street and we're in front of Century 21. It's like we're here. We're right there at the at the World Trade Center, and there's no more World Trade Center. It looked like nuclear winter. Um you saw the skeleton of the building, part of it was still standing, you know, low, but still standing, you know, the narrow the, the iron and the how narrow the windows were. And uh I get on the phone to New York One, I say, I'm here, and they're like, What do you mean you're here? I'm like, I'm right here in the middle of it. And they're like, Where? I said, Look, this is ground zero, right in the middle. And then something, something even, uh, something happened right then and there. I'll tell you when I get back.
1: Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Ooh, yeah. So as I was saying, I was right there in front of... uh, Uh, the World Trade Center, there was no more World Trade Center. The guy with me was Baron and Craig, and I told them where I was, New York won, and then I said, I'm in the middle of this thing, I'm at like ground zero. And so the station started to kind of chiron at ground zero. Uh, It's a military term from the atomic days, and uh, I had used the same term about a week earlier on television talking about the mayor's race, City Hall, ground zero in the mayor's race today because everybody was showing up at City Hall. Anyway, right around then, um world trade center 7 came down i didn't know what it was i just heard this horrible sound and you couldn't see the building cuz there was so much uh, dust in the air and we started running cuz couldn't tell how close that building was to us or what was happening and then then it stopped and then kind of went back for a while and uh, got some footage and uh, wow i mean um it uh, and that was just the beginning in many ways you know we thought we were hoping and some people were found in the hours and days after but that a lot more people would be found. Um, Hey, joining us on the phone right now, Raymond Kelly, the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of this city, and he was just a couple of months away from taking over the NYPD for the second time right after Bloomberg got elected and they set up, um, I don't think we've seen anything like it ever, or at that point in history, a police department equipped to fight terrorism and to detect plots against New York, they set up a whole big brand new apparatus. Uh, Commissioner Kelly, also known as dad around my house. Uh, are you there?
4: Hi, hands, Greg. How are you? Hey,
2: good to talk to you. And, uh, hey, first of all, where were you on September 11, 2001? Where, when, when you got the news that we were under attack, where were you?
4: Yeah, I was working for Bear Stearns. I was not in government at the time. It was between my two stints in in government. I was in the breakfast room in midtown Manhattan. Someone came in and said a small plane had hit the World Trade Center. And, uh, you know, people were sort of shrugging. And then just a few minutes later, they came in and said there was a second plane. It was obvious that it was a, a terrorist event. I went to. Uh, I left the building. and went to the site of a new building, just a block away, that we were that we were constructing. And uh, I tried to calm people down. Apparently, there was a, a panic. It, it, I was told there was in, in the building. And uh, ultimately, I made my way up to the top floor. And uh, at that time, we were we could see the top of the World Trade Center and then all of a sudden someone said to me look look at that the building started to crumble it was a oh my god you know it was just such an incredible sight so hard to believe but it started slowly going down and then, you know behind the skyline i couldn't uh you know could no longer see it but you knew i knew thousands of people had to be killed in that, in that horrendous uh event uh you know it was it was such a a earth-shaking event and it was a it, it was a watershed event in new york city we had been attacked once before in 1996 at the World trade center it was uh i was the police commissioner then and uh we uh We didn't know really what the cause was. Uh, Only six people died, but thousands were were injured. But we, I think, put an awful lot of faith as a government into the federal the federal establishment to protect us, to let us know what was going on. And it was clear at that event on September 11th that the federal government could no longer protect New York City that uh, we had to do everything we could to protect the citizens uh, of New York. We felt uh, very much alone. We weren't looking to uh, supplant the federal government. We were looking to supple- supplement it, but we knew we had to do a lot of things to, to better protect the city, and that's what the Bloomberg administration uh, in- engaged in. Yeah. you were uh, You were downtown, I know that your mother was in the, in in Europe so I, I knew your your brother was okay too he
2: was downtown so, as well
4: I and in part. you couldn't right.
2: uh you could not live at home for a couple of months because uh uh ray kelly was living with his wife at in battery park city which is right next door literally right next door and the building was out of commission i mean it was uninhabitable for how long about
4: For uh, two months And uh, then it took a gradual amount of time to to get back. Uh, You know, it just didn't come all at once. But even accessing the building was very, very difficult from from there on. Hey, you said um, something
2: about not being able, like protecting New York, and we had to do it. We had to take our, uh, you know, we just couldn't sit back and let them do it. How did the federal government how did they do over the over the next dozen years while you were the commissioner i mean how would you rate them i think new york did superbly and thwarted 12 terrorist attacks 16 terror plots and you know state of the art and it was just uh, but you you worked closely with them the fbi cia and i don't know i mean how would you at the end of all that, what was your takeaway? Are, are they good? Are they getting, are they mediocre? Are they bad? Are they okay? Uh, wh- wh- how would you size up the federal and, government?
4: And, well, I think it's a combination of a, of a lot of that. It depends on individuals. It depends on units. Uh, and look, we had no successful terrorist attacks during the, the, uh, 12 years of the Bloomberg administration, even though, we had 16 plots against the, uh, the the city, and that was stopped as a result of good work on the part of the federal government, good work on the part of the NYPD, and just sheer luck. Uh, but it was uh, obvious that they, they wanted to come in and they wanted to attack uh, New York City. We invested a lot of money. The Bloomberg administration, we hired people. From the federal government, from outside agencies, retired people, FBI, CIA, uh, BIA, all of these federal agencies, we brought them in. We had David Cohn come in, who was the 35-year veteran of the CIA, help put together our intelligence operation. We had Frank Labuti. Who was a general in the Marine Corps in charge of all Marines in the Pacific? He had just retired. We brought him on board. We brought in analysts from a lot of different places. David Cohen said it was the best analytical group he ever worked with. We assigned New York City police officers overseas. In 12, 12 countries to act as trip wires and listening listening posts to see if anything uh, was we going coming our way. Right. Uh, we, we we wanted to uh, have a good relationship with those with those countries uh, as well, exchanging uh, information. We uh, honed our language skills. We had. A, hey, actually, can I ask uh, you about the
2: uh, the language thing? There are, yeah. there are like some sensitive languages that, let's face it, a lot of terrorists, uh, use. I mean, a lot of great people use the same language, but terrorists, uh, languages like, um, well, Arabic and, um, Urdu and, uh, the NYPD actually has, believe it or not, I, 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 this was true then. I don't know if it's true now, but we had a lot more speakers, the officers did, of these foreign languages than the CIA actually did.
4: Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, we had speakers of the dialect. We knew what was being spoken on the streets of Karachi because we had people who were brought up on the streets of, uh, of Karachi. So we knew we knew the the fine points of so many of these, uh, these languages. It was, a, it was a great help, it was a, an immense help to have that insight, these were not people from Middlebury, Middlebury College who learned the language. These were people who were born with the language and it helped us. We had one time speakers of uh people born, I should say, in 106 foreign countries who were New York City police officers. So that gave us tremendous diversity, and I think it gave us a, a lot of insight into what was uh, what was going on. You know, we, it, it it wasn't easy, but we did have that expertise from the from the federal agencies, uh, veterans that we brought on board to help us uh, work with these languages, and it was it was something that was uh, it, I hope it's still uh helping today i'm not i'm not certain. well but it certainly helped in those in those days
2: for a dozen years they tried to attack new york city they didn't quite frankly you and bloomberg left The blasio comes in and uh terrorism happens all over the place uh kind of downplayed by the fake news but it was a it no kidding you can kind of pinpoint it to the day uh, the bombings in, uh, on 23rd Street, that was Islamic, uh, extremism, terrorism. Uh, that maniac on the West Side Highway there who mowed down all those people with a truck, killed those bikers from Argentina, exactly. Islamic terrorism. Yeah,
4: the police office is attacked as well by radicals and uh, attacked the hatchet, if you, if you recall. And by the way, the 23rd Street bombing, something that was missed, was that was in front of a Jewish, uh, art gallery uh and it had a jewish name that uh, uh, no one seemed to pick up on but it it, it certainly i think added to uh the <laughs> you know the reasons why this uh, this happened
2: and it wasn't so, just like yeah, it, we, we, it wasn't just like a new mayor okay the timing or anything like that it was messaging from de blasio it was messaging from the new administration. You know, we're not going to have a demographics unit. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're going to be kinder and gentler. We're not going to profile. Not that you guys were profiling at all, actually. You you followed the evidence. You follow the leads. But he did not understand any of that. He went with a caricature version that he wanted to believe about the NYPD and said, well, we're going to reform all of that, as I like to say, he pretended to fix what wasn't broken, and I think the terrorists were listening, and they exploited that. They took advantage of that, and we have dead people as a result in New York. That's my opinion.
4: And, 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 and I think you're, you're right on, Greg. You know, they settled all sorts of lawsuits, uh, all sorts of lawsuits in the uh, the Blasio administration. They just uh, agreed with virtually everything that the plaintiffs. Uh, brought uh, uh, against the department, There was nothing that ever went to trial, nothing they were willing to try. It was, I thought, it was uh, disgraceful. Uh, you know, you, you don't you don't give up without a fight. We were not doing anything that was, uh, you know, unconstitutional. We had the top lawyers advising us: Andy Schaefer, a Harvard graduate, Harvard criminal law. Uh, Attorney Doug Maynard, these are people from top flight law firms that advised us on everything that we were doing. So the notion that this was somehow, uh, you know, um, uh, willy nilly unconstitutional, which is simply wrong. It's it's another example
2: of, of the fake news just being fake and stupid and not having the bandwidth, not having the attention span. And just going with easy narratives, easy liberal narratives, uh, and they do such a disservice. And quite frankly, uh, people can die. <laughs> people can die. It's, uh, it's yeah. true. It's true. Hey, how about this? Um, you know, <laughs> terrorists were trying to come and destroy New York. Um, and Mayor Adams, Eric Adams, Ewick, as we like to call him, is completely overwhelmed, running around like a chicken with his head cut off with these migrants now i know it's a big problem but he just said new york is going to be destroyed and he's just running around in a panic um (laughs) i just thank god you know right now we're not under a terrorist attack because if he if he is driven crazy by that i don't know what he would do with something uh more serious and it's a serious problem the migrants but what would you do if you were in power regarding the migrants? I mean, I, part of it is it wouldn't be a problem if you were in power because you wouldn't have invited them here. <laughs> you, you would not have gone running around using the sanctuary city phrase and come here, which he did, and picking a fight with uh, the governor of Texas and all that stuff, which a lot of this is a result of him basically asking for these migrants to come here. What would you do, though?
4: Well, this is clearly a problem for the president of the United States to address. And you, you just can't beat around the bush. That is the reason for it. He could shut down the border tomorrow. He could go back to state in Mexico, uh, which was a, a provision under the Trump administration. No, none of that is done. So, so I mean, I, I think it, it certainly be more than reasonable, to say we've had enough here. We can't take any more, that's it. We're they're stopping the buses from coming into the city. They're going someplace else. They're going to Washington. They're going to Delaware someplace else. That would be eminently reasonable. I don't know what court would say, hey you can't do that. I mean when you go to court, uh you know, this is this is a winner for for the city, yet there's no there's no litigation as far as I know in terms of Try, try to put that in, in place. There's some kind of weird political motive here that's hard to figure out other than to increase, uh, you know, voting and voters in the Democratic Party, I guess. Uh, but it, it, no, it, it is the issue that the federal government and the federal government alone can handle, can control, and the only ones I can uh, and I can stop it. This is not brain surgery. This is not that complex. You know, they're coming in here. Uh, you know, you have a hundred thousand in, in, in the city. Well, what is that going to mean in the future? What's it going to mean for schools? What's it going to mean for jobs? What's it going to mean for, for you know uh, 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 hospitals? You know, all of those things are are, are are going to be and are being impacted by this. And It's incredibly, incredibly short-sighted, and obviously, for some political reason, it's being being, uh, uh, continued. Votes,
2: votes, they think they can, uh, and globalists, maybe they want the cheap labor. Well, look, uh, Ray Kelly, Commissioner Ray Kelly, two times a commissioner, 92 to 94, and 2001 to... 2013 uh longest serving ever there will never be one like him and uh low <laughs> record low crime no terrorist attacks and record popularity you left uh, you left that job 72% uh approval rating and one poll I saw 75 it's kind of crazy when you think about it all right listen we're, we we got to have you back more often ray kelly dad I don't call him father. You know what I mean? You're my father. But you know there are some households, they say father. Father, I've only seen that on television. Have you ever been in a house where they say they call the dad father? No. Not
4: in my house. (laughs) I mean,
2: dad! Um, Dad, of course. Well, anyway, thank you very much, Ray. Ray Kelly, everybody, and we'll be
1: right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Yes, all day today, the Red Apple Audio Network joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute, remembering 9-11 22 years later. We will never forget America's heroes. Please listen all day for special programming. And thank you to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for helping 9-11 victims and their families and so much more that they have done and do um, uh, and will do in the future. Wow, great, great people. Uh, in other news, um, I'm fasting. I have, um, my new diet is this. No food. I'm serious. It's, it's actually working. I can do it. I don't know. I was born to lose weight this way. I have not eaten anything since Friday. Can you believe that? Yeah. Saturday, Sunday, and I'm not even hungry. I'm not, it's cra- I'm a little bit hungry right now, but I can totally deal with it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you later why I did it. I mean, look, I was just, I'm too big. I got too much of a tummy, gut. I hate the word tummy, Um you know, and I just needed to do something. And uh I've been struggling. You guys here, I'm always moaning and complaining about it and trying this, trying that. I think this is going to be, I think this is going to work. Anyway, um it's September 11, 2001. And Barbara joins us from Huntington back. uh Hello, Barbara. What are you thinking right now?
0: Hi, Greg. Uh Uh-oh. I've been here from his experience and his insights. And also, I have a few thoughts on 9-11. 22 years ago today, when when terrorists destroyed the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, they attacked not only New York City, but the idea of America itself. Thousands who died that day were not as combatants, but as Americans living the liberties of our constitutional republic. These Americans lived, worked, and visited this city where the rule of law and goodwill toward others prevailed in spite of human imperfections. Hundreds of them chose as their life's work to rush toward danger when help was needed. On September 11th, they perished in harm's way. We pray with deep compassion for all who suffered and died that day and pray for the comfort of their loved ones. Let our lives reflect respect and appreciation for the liberties they were given no chance to defend that day. We honor them by living those freedoms and preserving them for their loved ones. May they rest in the arms of the Savior of us all.
2: Very, very beautiful, Barbara. So beautiful. Thank you, Barbara. Wow. A national treasure, Barbara Samuels. Um, Well, September 11th, where were you? Where are we going as a country? And look who's driving this ship. Joe Biden, please resign.
1: Uh... Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Hey, um... That guy from Pennsylvania, the, the escape murderer, he's still out there somewhere. They can't find him. How the hell can they not find this guy? Uh, they had a big perimeter set up and then the cop is like, well, not all perimeters are, uh, impregnable. You know, you can get, I'm like, well, uh, then, then, then it's not a perimeter. Maybe it's not a perimeter at that point. Uh, call it something else. It's not a perimeter. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a very strange thing going on in america and with the psychology of uh americans let's see Danello cavalcante yeah he killed the guy he killed his girlfriend actually really bad dude they think he killed somebody in south america before he came to the united states how old is he? he looks like he's like 22 or something like that anybody know how old he is let me know how old he is so he's out there somewhere and I think one of the problems is, and I'm looking at Lieutenant Colonel George Bavine, and they may find him in 10 seconds. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling this is happening a lot in life. Everybody is looking at their phones all the time, even investigators. Um, and everything must be on a computer. And if it's not in a computer, it's like, well, what do we do now? I mean, uh, you walk into these rooms and they don't have a great big whiteboard. Sometimes you need a great big whiteboard. Sometimes you need to, I think the um, computer has given us all tunnel vision. I mean, I'm still baffled at how the hell they didn't find Rex Hoyerman, the uh, alleged um, Gilgo Beach serial murderer. They should have found that guy nine years ago. Nine years ago, they had enough information to find him. Easy for you to say. Yeah, uh, you know what? It was easy to find him. It was easy to find him. They should have been able to find him. What did they know about Rex Hoyerman? In 2011, they knew he was... Uh, six foot five. They were looking for a guy who was very, very tall. They knew he drove a Chevy Avalanche. And they knew he worked in Midtown Manhattan and lived in Massapequa Park. Did you know they knew all that stuff? How many big guys with a Chevy Avalanche commute to Midtown Manhattan from Massapequa Park with the Chevy Avalanche? There's one. And his name is Rex. And they finally got him. Now, thank God the new regime took over there. Commissioner Harrison and uh, the DA there, Tierney, great guys. They were able to do it basically right away. As soon as they got, they got there in January, they set up the text force in February. They found the guy in March. They knew who they were looking for. I mean, they 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 ided him and they followed him and they built the case. And so um, I don't know. I feel like America's losing it somehow, losing it. And you know, we can't ever forget. We are Americans, and, and think about our history. Think about the gutsy people who came here. That's us, right? That's us! Think about the Flight Flight 93, United 93. And my friend Lauren from Queens points this out. You ever, uh, Flight 93, of course, uh, was on its way to the Capitol, we think, and the passengers. It was the first counterattack, really, uh, of 9-11. There may have been some on other planes, but this was the first successful one. Passengers already knew that buildings were under attack. And uh, they rose up and they uh, charged the cockpit. And the the terrorists, the hijackers, knew that they were about to take control. You know, the passengers were about to seize control of the airplane. So instead of letting that happen and possibly the plane could successfully land somewhere, they decided to crash the plane into the ground, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And Todd Beamer and the other crew members, I mean, sorry, uh, passengers, got up and um and did what they did and i remember leroy homer was the pilot one of the pilots on that jet happens to be from long island leroy homer and he went to the air force academy became a pilot always one of the fly i really like uh, his story leroy homer and this was back before america was obsessed with race and i found out about he happens to be black but whatever and now it's a uh, race is used as a wedge, something to divide us, right? Um ah, man. You Nine know, Eleven, the pre Nine Eleven world was better than this world in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. Now I know we can't go back. You got to keep going forward. We lost Afghanistan. Can you imagine that? That we blew it. Hey, not only that. Um, you, you know what happened in twenty twenty one. But George W. Bush, excuse me, dicked around for way too long before the counterattack, before actually bombing Afghanistan. They could have been bombing Afghanistan the next morning. The next morning. We have the capacity. Did you know we have the capacity to launch bombers from Missouri? The B 2 bomber, which is the most powerful bomber in the American arsenal. We launch it from Missouri and it flies all the way to Afghanistan, drops bombs, and then goes all the way back to Missouri. We could have done that that night. We have B 52s in Diego Garcia. Because Bush brought zero expertise to the table, I mean, none, right? Zero. The guy didn't know how to do anything. He, um, he let the military, well, number one, they were saving stuff for Iraq. They knew they ultimately wanted to go into Iraq, so they couldn't totally commit to getting the terrorists in Afghanistan. And, um, Yes, the official line is they had to set up search and rescue for the pilots. So you had to, like, establish helicopter bases in Uzbekistan, right next door. Well, I'm sorry, speaking as an aviator, military av- aviator former, there are some times where you go in and if you crash, you crash. Here's your little survival kit. You know, I went through survival training. And, um, you know, search and rescue, Maybe. Turns out that there was literally no surface to air threat. I think in, ever since we went to war in 2001, the bad guys, I don't think they shot down one aircraft. Maybe a couple of helicopters, but at that point we weren't talking about helicopters. I actually went through survival training and they tell you how to live off the land and stuff like that and, you know, how to build a fire. This is for anybody. They get special training. Anybody who might get shot down someday and be on enemy territory, they they show you how to evade capture, how to live off the land. And uh, if you are captured, they give you, uh, well, they, they, they talk to you about that and what to expect and how you might be able to handle it. Um, and during that training, I actually went without food for three days. And I remember very vividly, it was no big deal. I had a huge meal before going um, out to the class and then being dropped off in the middle of the woods. I ate about five, about five Egg McMuffins. And I was just, I was not hungry the entire time I was out there. Part The first half was for all those Egg McMuffins. Oh, and the pancakes, which they call hotcakes at McDonald's. I had no, I had no hunger. And then the body knows when it's not gonna So I have not eaten since Friday. Did I tell you that? I've been on a fast since Friday, and I feel pretty damn hungry. Okay, <laughs> it just kicked in about 20 minutes ago. I'm hungry now, and I'm ready to eat. I'm going to break the fast tonight, but I'm going to – this is a weight loss technique for me. I think it's, wor- it's working so far. And uh, what happened Friday, it actually happened right here. There was a great big cake for Chad Lopez, his birthday, right? And uh, the GM of the uh, – the, the president's CEO – of the station, and it was a beautiful ice cream cake, and I had a huge hunk. But right next to that was another cake. We always put out a big cake for anybody who has a birthday in that month. So there was the September birthday cake, and that was regular cake, and then you had the ice cream cake. I thought, hmm, what if I combine them? (laughs) So I had two major slabs of cake for one enormous blob, and it was awesome, and I enjoyed it, but it really did a number on me. And, of course, I didn't stop eating then. And uh, so that night at about just before midnight, I realized, you know what? I'm going to try to fast. i got to clean this stuff out of me. And i got to actually finally, once and for all, lose weight. And so far, I've been reading about fasting. You know, it's actually easier to not eat than to eat a little. To eat a little food is harder than to not eat any food. Now, who knows? I could faint, and uh, it could be a big problem. But so far... I'm actually, uh, I'm actually doing all right. So uh, let's see here. Tim is standing by. Hello, Tim. You're in Los Angeles.
4: Yes. Uh, what's going on, there, Greg?
2: No, um, you're not, Tim. What's up with you in the games? All right, stop it, Tim. You know what? You know, I don't like it. You play these games all the time. You know, you're rich from Poughkeepsie. You're Joe from Montauk, and now you're Tim from Los Angeles. You shouldn't be lying, all right? You can get in trouble for that, calling the radio station and misrepresenting yourself. But since it's 22 years since 9-11, I will let you speak. What's up?
3: Okay. You're a patriot. And I like the interview with your dad and everybody else, Ray Kelly. Uh, First of all, to me, and I believe this is true, the 9-11 attack was a military operation that was planned for, trained for, and executed within the borders of America by a foreign entity, the young people should know that. All right, Tim, you Tim, Tim, get- Tim,
2: Tim, Tim. No, this is where you jump the shot. This is where you get crazy, and this is why you keep changing your name. I mean, you know, I look. I don't. You know, I like you, thanks, but uh, you say that nine uh, eleven was 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 planned for and trained for in the United States borders. I do not believe that. I do believe it was the nineteen hijackers, and it was funded, and uh, they were uh, by Al Qaeda, and it was coordinated by. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and, um, you know, I i bet you haven't read the 9-11 report. Did you ever sit down? Now, the 9-11 report is not perfect, all right? It's not perfect. And the government, they screw up a lot, and I find the government a hell of a lot less credible now than I did back then. But for all of its faults, for all of the lies we've been told, I believe that we were attacked by terrorists on September 11th. And Tim, I got one question for you. Did you read the 911 report?
4: I didn't read the whole thing, but I'm saying the
2: terrible uh, all, right, all right, all right, all well, right. But you know what? You didn't... Who, Do you know who wrote the 911 report? Who wrote it?
5: There See, you, don't, you, were... know,
2: you don't know. You don't know. Tim, you don't know. And you read the most of it and you don't know, you know, it's I get it. It's much more fun to have these theories and to speculate and to shoot your mouth off and to say stuff. It's a hell of a lot more fun. Then getting into the weeds and reading the book and figuring out that it was, um, Congressman, uh, Hamilton and, uh, Governor Kane who, uh, chaired the report and it was written by a guy named Phil Zeckalo. And, you know, that's a pain in the neck. And actually reading the report and coming to informed conclusions instead of just jumping on the internet and going around and seeing stuff and maybe that, wow, wow, wow. Sorry, Tim. I'm a little bit disappointed in you, to be honest. I did. I knew you were out there, but that's kind of that's that's a, that, that that's a little bit too out there for me. But thank you, Tim. Have a good day. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, but what's up with the fake names? What's up with the fake names? He's a fa- he, he says 911 was a fake. He's a fake with the fake names. Tim, I know you're not a. Well, whatever the hell his real name is. Why does he do that? There's a no, there's no rule against that. There's no law against that. You're allowed. It's a free country, I guess. Yes, it is a free country, right for the time being. Uh, all right, enough from me. Commercial break.
1: Thank you. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Yes, so all day today, the Red Apple Audio Network joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute. Remembering 9/11. 22 years later, we will never forget America's heroes. Please listen all day for special programming, and thank you to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for helping 9/11 victims and their families, and so much more, and so many more people as well. Uh, they really are incredible. Ah, wow. How about that, huh? Uh, so grateful to them. 9/11. Where were you, right? We'll be. Hey, we're going to be joined by Rudy Giuliani in just a little bit. Uh, he'll tell us a little bit about leadership, a little bit about fighting terror and fighting crime, uh, which has engulfed America, engulfed it, engulfed it. And part of the reason I do believe is that, well, they lied about um, so much. Uh, they being the media, academia, uh, Hollywood, and uh, this this phony baloney nonsense about white supremacy. Right? That that's the greatest threat to American. Uh, what is it? It's an existential threat. Now, I hate white supremacy. I do. It's a horrible, foolish ideology, and anybody who believes in it is uh, really you know, terrible, and uh, if you break the law, you ought to be arrested. But there are about six people who believe in that crap. And um, the real crime that is out there all over the place, well, <sighs> we're lying about it. We're lying to ourselves about it. We're not having an honest conversation. You know, America is having a ludicrous and silly conversation about race to avoid having an uncomfortable conversation about race. An uncomfortable, but truthful one. And one, you know, uh, if America started adopting policies that did not discourage fatherhood, but encourage fatherhood, especially in the black community. And I don't like saying community because there's no such thing as a white community, but you know what I mean. No matter what you look like, you know what I mean. Barack Obama. Well, he unfortunately didn't start a conversation. He said one thing and he got slapped across the face, and he never brought it up again. Hey I'm looking at a horrific attack in Chicago. Let's see here. looks like an a man happens to be Asian, and it looks like he's uh he's a Lyft or Uber driver, one of those rideshare drivers. I'm not sure which company, and is being viciously attacked. They're trying to steal his car. This happened, I think, uh, over the weekend. I'm looking at the footage. Wow. They are beating the hell out of him and they got a metal bar. And since everything is about race, well, we already mentioned that the victim happens to be Asian and the three assailants happen to be black women. I'm not going to make any generalization from that and neither should, nobody should, but there's something going on here. I understand that they're generalizing every time, every time, about white people. How dare a white person, I don't know, say her bike is being stolen when it might just be being stolen. And she gets canceled. There is a, (laughs) this is a very dark time. It's a very strange, very strange moment. Hmm? Certain things, certain lies can be told, but certain truths can't be told. Why is that? That's not you. That's not me. That's America. That's not America. Is it? Hey, I see there was a country music uh, concert. I'm not a big country music guy, but Jason Aldean was in concert. And outside, some Black Lives Matter activists decided to get together and burn the American flag. Now, I'm trying to find out if they were arrested. Like Enrique Tarrio is arrested and thrown in prison for four months for burning a Black Lives Matter flag. And it was a controlled burn, by the way. He burned it in the middle of the street. You know, Black Lives Matter is a, you know, it's a club, basically. It's gone crazy big and whatever, but it's a club. It's not a national flag. You know, one time they were thinking about passing an amendment, a constitutional amendment that you couldn't burn the flag. Well, Enrique Tarrio's problem, the why he got in so much trouble, is it wasn't an American flag he was burning. If only he burned an American flag, gosh, the American Civil Liberties Union would have been on his side, the media would have been on his side, but it was a Black Lives Matter flag, and that is a, a cherished fabric, isn't it, right? And all it stands for, all the socialism, all the anti-nuclear family, all the pro-trans... Gender, community stuff. I mean, really, you got to look at that website. All the stuff. It, it, BLM. If you signed up for BLM, you you have no idea what you were signing up for. You're signing up for something anti-American fundamentally communist. Anyway, uh, we're back in a moment with Rudy Giuliani.
1: Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Yes, and all day today, the Red Apple Audio Network joins the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute, remembering 9-11 22 years later. We will never forget America's heroes. Please listen all day for special programming, and thank you to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for helping 9-11 victims and their families and so many more. And one of the heroes just walked into the room, Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. He was in office that day, and... uh but, uh, and so we're so thankful you were in office that day. How are you?
5: I'm good. Good. Putting up with, uh, what's going on. And today, of course, today is a day of very, very difficult feelings. Uh, some of them very, very depressing and very horrible things to remember. And some of them very, uh, um, very uplifting. I mean, I, many times I've said it was the worst day and the best day. And some people criticize you for saying the best day. How could it be the best day? Because of the tremendous heroism and the, resiliency and the ability of people to fight back or um, it depends on what you're thinking about. Like, sometimes I'll think about the um, construction workers that showed up around 5 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, I'm standing there with a group of firefighters and police officers and my commissioners and I see the uh, maybe a 100 men walking toward the site and uh, I can't quite figure out who they are. And I go up to the Guy in the front and I said, what, what are you doing here? Well, we're, 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 we're working on construction sites nearby and we're coming to help out. And I said, well, you have no uniforms and you have no, he said, yeah, but we're strong and we can lift things. Mm. And I gave him over to the firefighters and the firefighters put him to work and, um, things like, things like that. Or the, or the firefighters who put the flag up that immediately evoked Iwo Jima, you know, it, it, it kind of said to you, can this generation handle it? And now you see this generation doing exactly what their fathers and, and grandfathers did. Yeah. Basically, say we're going to fight back. And then, and then, you know, today as I was walking out and I was feeling kind of good. <laughs> you look at the names, particularly the names you don't know. And I say to myself, "Oh my goodness, I mean, I, I probably know as many as anyone would of the people who, who died. There's so many I didn't know. These poor people, their lives just taken away." Impossible to explain. The guy's an accountant. He's delivering a meal. He's uh, the head of a company. He's uh, there for to pay a bill, and he's dead for reasons having nothing to do with him and for reasons that have to do with evil, really, with an evil interpretation of uh, Islamic extremism and hatred of the United States, this this uh, hatred that we've had to deal with, Maybe because we're such a successful na- successful nation and because w- uh, we prove when we're at our best their the the errors of their insane ideologies whether it's communism or Islamic extremism or Nazism and uh, for that they hate us they didn't get the terrorists
2: Osama bin Laden the rest they did not get i I, I can't figure out their strategic game I think they mm-hmm. uh they were it was they were punishing us for our support of israel our support of israel became stronger right i mean we we there's no separating us from israel correct and but whatever strategic
5: aims they had they did not fulfill i don't think well not in the short term in the short term they did not you're absolutely right for, first of all i think their uh, goals were greater than we even realized i think they thought they were going to crush us and i think that um you know they they attacked our military, our military what they would consider our military center, the Pentagon. They attempted to attack our political center, that would have been either the capital or the White House. And they they attacked what they regarded as to be our financial center. Yeah. Now they probably they probably should have attacked the the uh, stock exchange rather than the, the World Trade Center. But to them the World Trade Center would would evoke the center New York trade, finance And I think they thought they were going to crush us because up until then, we looked like a pretty weak country. You know, and Ben Laden had attacked us several times. Clinton's responses were pathetic. They were pathetically weak, uh, which, you know, reminds you of Chamberlain and Hitler. And I don't know when we ever going to learn that you do not, you you don't coddle bullies. You just make them worse when you do that. And Democrats love to do that. And, um, I don't think he, he expected the response that he got out of Bush. I don't think he expected within five weeks they're going to be destroyed in Afghanistan.
2: I kind of, well, I pointed out, I wish it was even sooner. I mean, some of us believe that that was one hell of a head start he gave Al Qaeda.
5: Oh, oh, yeah, I, 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 I think it should have been sooner also. Uh, can but I ask you this? It happened.
2: You said in the short term they didn't reach their goal, but long term, what do you mean? By, well, long what, term,
5: long? they are so much more patient than us, right? So I'm standing there today, feeling very different than I ever did before, and uh, I had to leave early anyway. But I left earlier. Uh, I just couldn't be there with my orcas and and um, and Harris. And I mean, they're giving our country away. And uh, I'm standing there, and every every time I confront 9/11, and I've gone every year but the year that I had an operation on my knee, and uh, almost every year, certainly up until Biden. Even through Obama, I always felt we were better prepared for terrorism. Right. In fact, I'd I'd be questioned about that. And uh, uh, during, uh, well, let's say 2008, 2010, 2011, yeah, we we now have uh, uh, many, many more units in police departments like we had in New York, which, you know, we, we had and your dad improved and Bloomberg improved. and They have them all over America now. This is the first time I actually feel, and maybe I didn't think about it the last couple of years, we're in much more danger now than we were on uh, on, on in, in 2001. Uh, we literally have an open border in which, unless you're a stupid terrorist, you're sending people to the United States. Yeah, I mean, You have to be out of your mind not to take advantage of it.
2: You know, um, if you don't mind, you saw Kamala Harris there, the vice president, and um, she said this a while back, and I'd like to... Play it for everybody
0: not only a place on our calendars but a place in our collective memory december 7th 1941 september 11th 2001 and january 6th 2021
2: <laughs> um january 6th you know putting it on that level and they've done it for political reasons. And I think that they actually have distracted law enforcement. The FBI now consumed with January 6th and sending SWAT teams to get these, you know, goofballs with the crazy hats. That has this, those words have
5: made us demonstrably less safe. Yeah. If I have to explain the difference between uh, January 6th and the first two things that she mentioned, then I can't even talk to you. I mean, there's no point even talking to you. Uh, how, how can you possibly compare the two things? Uh, even if we took the exaggerated version of January 6th before all the truth has, you know, virtually cut it in half, a quarter. Uh, you know, six, uh, four people didn't die that day uh, based on the protest. No one died that day based on the. There was not a single person found with a gun. Uh, there's no insurrection plan. Uh, the whole idea of insurrection is, is garbage. I mean, it's complete. It's in the, it's the, it's in the mind of Trump derangement syndrome sick people. Uh, an insurrection without a gun. An insurrection without a plan of succession. An insurrection that n- no one knew who was in charge of it. Uh.
2: And it, it's, it's totally out. It's, it makes no sense at all. But I, I am concerned that that emphasis. You're, right,
5: you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, and imagine, uh, we waste time just think of all the money we wasted on that that could have been spent on securing a country against Islamic terrorists. Instead, what we've done is uh, we have broken down our single biggest defense against Islamic terrorists, which is stopping them at the border. If I if I run ISIS, I would be stupid not to be sending people into the United States in large numbers. I'd be I'd be I'd be an, I'd be an irresponsible leader of ISIS.
2: So listen to this. There is a new deputy commissioner for terrorism at the NYPD. Her name is Rebecca Weiner. And she said, what are you, you know, what are your priorities? And the second priority she mentioned is fighting white supremacy.
5: In New York. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am very much against white supremacy. If yeah. you, if you find it, I'll fight it. But you better find it. I it's mean, not, it's not a factor. It's just not a no, factor. No, it's a, it's an exceptional weird thing that happens here and there.
2: Hey, can I ask you? Do you ever wonder what life would have been like for you had we not been attacked?
5: Yeah, I, I, I pretty much I had a book contract for two million dollars. You, you already had that book contract. I had the book contract for two million dollars. I had three or four offers from uh, law firms. So you were, in going, the to be, you were going to be millions of dollars. You were going to be. You were going to be rich one way or the other. <laughs> uh, yeah, life would have been very comfortable, and um. Uh, But do I regret, do I regret what the, do I regret what happened to my country, my country? Uh, yes. Do I regret anything I've done? No. Uh, God, God, look, I don't even think you get a choice to do that. God decides what happens to you. Do you think you would have run for president had it not happened? I think I might have.
2: You were thinking along those lines anyway. I,
5: I might, I might have, I might not have. Um, it would have been harder because wouldn't have had quite the name recognition. That I had. People love to say I was finished and, and ruined when 9-11 happened. I had a $2 million book contract. I had office for uh, numerous jobs. My approval rating was, uh, much higher than, yeah. than, uh, than uh, most mayors, uh, leave it higher than, higher than conscious when he left office. Uh, it became gigantic. And, uh, I was still regarded as the mayor who turned around take September 11 away. So I'm still much. the mayor who turned around New York City, uh, fixed uh, welfare, uh, made uh, made New York City the, the uh, number one city in America when it was a piece of you-know-what when I came in. Uh, and I was regarded as probably one of the most successful mayors of the 20th century who had to live with the burden of not being fairly covered in a liberal city.
2: Yeah, and they were really, like, because they saw you as, you know, no, you're not, but a lame duck so they could pick on you. Some of the tabloids, you know what I mean? Like right. the daily news yeah. and stuff, so, but that's all garbage. It all evaporates. And also
5: all the, all the, um, low approval ratings I had in the city when they did that, I go up into the stratosphere in the suburbs, which is one of the reasons I, I could have possibly run for governor. And I, and I'm thinking about one of the things that made me unpopular in my second term is I opposed the Brooklyn library, uh, desecration, of, uh, of the, of the, of the artwork on Mother Mary by putting bull dung on her. Robert Maplethorpe. Yeah. And my, and they say I, I fought the, I, I, I was in conflict with the First Amendment. I know the First Amendment better than they do. I was in conflict with using se- state money, city money, yeah. to desecrate a religion. And if, if that were Muhammad they did that to, or that were Moses they did that to, I'd have had the whole city behind me. Well, I, I said to myself, as a Christian, I'm not going to let them do to my religion. But I wouldn't, either one or the other two. I would have done the same thing.
2: Hey, on that, have you noticed? I feel like, as Christians, uh, a lot of us, myself sometimes included, we don't talk enough about the faith when it's not under attack. We wait around for it to be under attack, and then we start terrible talking terrible mistake. About it. It's a mistake,
5: right? I think the, the I think the reason we're in the trouble we're in is because we the first thing they did. I and mean, we let them get away with this take God out of, out of, out of public discourse. Uh, I'm talking about prayer in school, uh, uh and any displays of religion. It's as if, it's as if they're, it's as, as if it's satanic.
2: You can wear an LGBTQ pride, whatever, with greater acceptance than wearing, say, a cross, a crucifix. Correct. And that's quite frankly on a lot of us Christians for not spreading the word for not talking about the remarkable gifts that are available to each and every one of us through uh, the blood of Christ and God himself and reading the Bible. I mean, look, I can play the culture wars. I'm up there. I'm pretty good at fighting them, but forget about that. We have an obligation to talk. And I think you told me once, you actually, you know so much about theology,
5: don't you? Well, was. I wanted to be a priest for a good deal of my life, and I took five years of theology and five years of Latin and, I was preparing to be uh to be a priest and I changed my mind in the second year of college.
2: That's amazing. And by the way, uh yeah, back then obviously there were more people considering the priesthood than there are today, right? It was like Sean was, Hannity
5: and me. <laughs> Sean Hannity too.
2: It he was, was he was in the minor seminary. Why what well, when you were thinking about it, what was motivating you along those lines? What was it about the priesthood that you thought maybe I should do that?
5: Serving people. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, Christianity is summed up in, you know, I'll get judged uh, by Jesus and by God based on how I dealt with the least of His brethren. I think He gave us the way to heaven, and He said, you know, how are you going to deal with them? They're me, and I think serving—I think serving people, uh, and, and with whatever talents you have. I mean, what what is it? You, uh, we can't do everything, but what are the things that you can do to help people? So I look at. I looked at being mayor very much the same way as I looked at being a, being a priest or if if I had been, or, or a lawyer. My job is to serve people and to help, help people where I can use my talents for that. And I think that's where, when you feel most fulfilled. When I, when somebody comes up to me and says to me, mayor, you know, thank you. You gave me the work ethic. That's worth all the criticism, all the. Just one person can come up to me and say that. The work you know, ethic. Yeah, I have, ha- I just had somebody do that a couple huh. of days ago. Came up to me and said, you know, I was, in, I was in, I was in, I was in, um, I was in high school. I was going to, I was going to city, a university, and you made me work 10 hours a day because up until then you could get it for free. Ah. And that was one of the best things ever done for me. Wow. Wow. How- I grabbed the guy, I hugged him. <laughs> uh, and Ted, uh, Ted, Ted wanted to take a, a film with him, and I said, "No, we don't. We don't want to exploit him. Just, just, just my heart."
2: Ted is, uh, Ted is your absolute <laughs> awesome right hand man <laughs> slash chief of staff. Hey, do me a favor, Mister Mayor. We'll be right back.
1: Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: So we're back with uh, America's Mayor and nine uh, eleven. Everything changed. Everything was different. We were at war. Hey, how heartbreaking is it that, um, 9-11, 2021, we leave Afghanistan, quite frankly, just as we found it, the Taliban in charge, the Taliban running that the That was show.
5: the, be- I think that was the beginning, uh, or maybe not the beginning, but maybe one of the major movements in the direction of our becoming more dangerous. Not only that, we gave them 80, what, $85 billion in, in, in equipment, in, in arms. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy and then we gave china basically gave china the airbase i i talked to president trump about that the other other day because i <laughs> i scratched my head and i said can you think can you come up with any reason that anyone would give up an airbase 400 miles from china any reason that any american would do it and that's how he countered it with can you think of anyone that would take out the troops before the civilians Which is what he did. Mm -hmm. Remember, he had to bring the troops back. Yeah. Because the civilians were getting slaughtered. Not only did he take out the troops before the civilians, he took them out of a country where the terrorist groups wanted to kill those civilians because they helped us. The the decisions are impossible to explain. Uh, Some of them can be explained, like the the air base, I think it can be explained by corruption and by being owned by China. Mm. I don't understand taking out the the civilians and I don't understand giving the arms to the to the to terrorists who are going to use it. You know, they're going to use it to kill whoever remains there that helped us. It's like it's like it's like it's like it's like executing the people who helped you. You know, this
2: weekend uh, in Vietnam, Joe was going around saying China, you know, I don't have a problem with China. We don't want to contain China. We don't. Maybe, maybe for whatever reason, we don't say we want to contain China, but we don't say we don't want to contain China. That to me seemed really you know bought, said, bought it, and paid for.
5: You know what that says to the countries around China who hate China, like Vietnam. I mean, I, I know because of the war and everything, we think China and Vietnam were allies. I mean, they're ancient enemies, and Vietnam is is more worried probably than anyone about China's ambitions to swallow them up. But you think of those countries around China; they're all afraid of China. And this will just put them under China's wing even more. What are you doing tonight? You, you... Tonight I'm I'm having a dinner with Bernie and a few... Uh, Bernie Carrick. Had a nice long... You know, hopefully, uh, I don't think Joe can join us, but we had a nice talk with Joe Esposito. Uh-huh. He's, he's just he's still recovering. He was
2: OE No, he was the chief of police at yeah, the time. Yeah, he worked yeah. For, yeah. With,
5: yep. with your dad, too. I mean, he was the longest-running chief of the department. Like, your dad was the longest-running yeah. commissioner. And... Uh, he was a big, big factor on September. You know, he, as the chief of the department always is, I mean, the, the guy, the uniform, the uniform leader of the department is the guy that's out on the street, uh, getting things done. And he, boy, I mean, he had a, what he explained today on the show I did with Andrew was how he had to worry about the other four boroughs. Hmm. And Bernie did also how they had to divide, they had to somehow, and so did I. I had to sort of make myself not just think about ground zero because in the first day, there was every reason to believe we were going to get attacked at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Or we were going to get attacked at uh, who knows where Columbia University. Uh, uh, that one of the theories was that these bo- uh, bombings were a signal for other actions to take place.
2: Hey, uh, Sandra, standing by. Big fan, big fan of yours, and, and a friend of the show. Sandra, I'm sorry we're almost out of time, but what would you like to say to the mayor? Yeah.
0: Real quick to both of you, double pleasure. I I, I left the uh, event with a uh, Vivek today. Oh, and
2: I, okay, Vivek. I know you love Vivek. I love him too.
0: But Sandra, sorry, call back earlier, Mr. Mayor. Have no. a great show. God bless you.